Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome to another edition of This Week in Production. I'm your host, Art Aldrich, and with me on the phone is Mr. Thomas Chartrand. Hello, Art. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing, Tom? Doing great. Thank you for joining me again on another episode. Thanks for having me back. It's been a few weeks. We've we've been on yes. set together. Uh, we've been traveling a lot. You've been traveling separately. I've been traveling separately. But I ran into a little uh, data crisis. I heard. I heard on that uh, other one. Uh, yes. And that's something that always scares the heck out of me is... You know, what happens? All of this work, all this expense and crew, all the setup. And if if data isn't, you know, properly set up or not, if you don't have a contingency even for things, um, everything can go right down the right down the chute. You know, maybe it was an omen, but as I was um, contemplating ideas for future podcasts, I was uh, talking to a friend of ours and I said, you know, things that keep you up at night about work. And then, you know, a couple days after that, this was like job three of four big jobs in a row. And right. I had a RAID chassis that I use for multi-user offloads and editing workflows. And I don't bring it on every job, but this particular job, we drove our uh, production truck. So it's easy enough mm -hmm. to put it on the truck and, and take it. We had a failure on the on the RAID. And it wasn't, um, wasn't a simple drive failure because it is a, a raid and you can replace a drive this was more of like a i think a backplane issue on the raid mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh it freaked me out a little bit i had the data in other places but it it still freaked me out a little bit and i, I didn't literally didn't sleep at all the night after this happened that evening and we had a big shoot early the next morning and I was a bit right. of a mess, but it, it did get me thinking about data management. And this is something that I had, I'd wanted to do on a podcast, but being that it happened this week, I thought we would uh, dive into it a little bit. It brings it right to the fore when you're, when you're thinking about that. And going back to, to just that, it makes you realize just how fragile, you know, these hardware chassis can be, you know, you could have the best setup, you could have it all just right. But if a screw is loose, if a wire isn't held down properly, if uh, the shocks on your sprinter are a little bit off, you know, any little thing can really, you know, uh, damage that, that, that precious, you know, bit that's, that's really the backbone of it. This, I think, applies to many aspects of production. Absolutely. And, and if you listen back to I don't know if you heard the the episode with Mr. John Sheeran when we talked about uh, mm -hmm. proper planning and he was talking about how on some big budget jobs you have backups of everything. So, right. uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you do need to have backup systems and I do keep backup data sets, you know, and I, I do try to have my data in, in a lot of places and, you know, we'll explore that in some detail. I basically right. came back from that job that second day knowing that, okay, we had a failure. I had the data backed up. I I, I poured one glass of tequila and then I, I slept for about 12 hours. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that was probably the first thing that you should have done was pour that, that, that first glass, which I'm going to do right now, pouring I, a little Don Julio 
uh, double cask, the the newest variety of the double cask. And well, you you've been lucky to have found that bottle by you. I've not been so lucky, but I am drinking a little uh, of the previous double cask, and uh, mm. I'm enjoying that right now. Cheers! Awesome. Cheers! Uh, let's just talk about my workflow, which you are a part of as a um, as a data manager, but uh, you can also fill in on your end as far as your business practices with data management. And I don't pretend that this particular method that I use works for everyone. It, it works for me and for my clients. But as uh, I think you had alluded to earlier, it depends on the level of the job and, and the level of complexity and the importance of, of getting the data delivered. I mean, it's always important, but sometimes it's more critical. And that might be budgetary. Well, yeah. It might be the ability not, you know, that you can't recreate it. And and that's really the case with the jobs that, that I'm doing that you're helping me on is that you can't recreate these moments. You know, the budgets are big enough to allow for, and there's an expectation of data protection. Absolutely. And, and part of it is, and it's something that, you know, in the, in the number of years we've been working together, the workflow has evolved. Um, and it's evolved to a point where we're able to be, you know, productive on set when we're at these events and doing these productions, and we're able to 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 back things up and work with them simultaneously. So it's it's not a conventional workflow where you're just backing things up, making sure the data is there. We're actually producing on site and editing on site, and really come up with a with a workflow that 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 does protect the data, tracks it on on the the set day, and um, and and gives you a product when you leave that you're able to work with immediately, um, and it's a little unconventional for for a lot of um, you know DIT setups. Yeah, I, and again, I'm not in that you know film and uh, commercial world and episodic TV where you know they probably have a separate process, but for my process, for my clients, and for my workflow, this is what I use, and I'll. I'll talk a little bit about it. I mean, we basically will do a job where we have anywhere between five and 10 cameras running at any point during the day. Right. These are, you know, cameras that have, I mean, they're all digital, so they're all on some kind of memory card, a lot of P2, some SD card, some micro SD card, some compact flash cards. I mean, we basically handle mm -hmm. a whole range of media types. And right. basically that media comes in throughout the day. We don't wait till the end of the day because it would obviously bog down uh, the offload. As it's broken up into like segments, we'll bring it in. And then you'll begin the first process, which is offloading the data in its, what I call its native state, which is in the format that it, it was recorded in. And Right, we back it up exactly as it's recorded. Right. And these are being uh, offloaded via ShotPut Pro software. What I love is it does give you speed where you can assign where the file goes. You can append what you call that file while maintaining the file structure. So you can organize on the fly and it's very, very quick. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a nice piece of software. So we begin yeah. the offload process with ShotPut Pro and a laptop and a card reader, and we're storing it on a RAID 1 set, a mirrored RAID set of drives. And we'll talk specifically about the equipment later in the 
in the podcast, but we, we put them on a set of RAID 1 drives, and then that media is not sent back out to be recorded. That media then is handed off to the second uh, data wrangler, which is a step that is specific to my workflow, which is creation of a editing library and an organization of an editing library. There's two reasons that I do that step. One of them is just speed of workflow. But the second reason, and really the most important reason to me, is to avoid an issue where media is not offloaded accidentally. Right. Because when you're handling media, you're not looking at the content. You're taking the cards right. and you're verifying that you've offloaded the card to the drive. But sometimes something could be missing or a card could just have not been archived where the second data wrangler is actually ingesting the clips making sure that we have the pieces that we need if he finds something that's missing it can avoid a problem a big problem um down right. the road because i might not get back to the project in the edit bay for three or four weeks and sometimes, and sometimes you've got jobs in between that yeah absolutely so that second step for me is about really validating that we have all of the data in. It happened one time, but one time's enough where right. one card didn't get archived and it didn't get erased, but if it hadn't been right. caught, it could have been an issue. And so, that was one of the times where we adjusted our workflow. We we came up with a document system where we verify what we're bringing in, counting cards, and really it's, it's really helped us, you know, hone in on making sure that we have everything and also the speed of the drives. And I don't want to get ahead of, of where you're going, but the, the speed that we're able to offload footage. Now I'm able to spot check the footage to make sure before it even goes over to the editing side that, all right, the cameras are looking good. Do we need to look at something? Is there a lens issue? Is the back focus off? Uh, is metadata correct? And if it's not, I can correct it and update it before I do hand it over to the editing side of the DIT job. And um, it's really allowed us to, to hone in and really be certain that, that things are correct before they ever get there. That's an excellent point, Tom, that that has only been something that has come from the increased speed of the drives, which makes the offload go quicker. And I said this right. in a previous, uh, I think one of the podcasts that you and Lou did with me, and we were talking about mm -hmm. equipment purchases. And I said, one of the primary things that I look for in a new equipment purchase is how, how does it speed up my workflow? Right. And this is a prime example of buying something that not only is gonna be functional for a specific task, but if it also brings speed to the back end as a result, then that's a win. And, and I'm using drives now, and we'll talk about that later, that are bringing right. that are speed nice. And it also brings some additional benefits. Right. So there's two mm -hmm. stations. There's two RAID 1 mirrors on each station. So there's a total of four drives that are in play. And they're basically right. redundant copies of each other. Now, we're doing this in software RAID, I will mention. Um, and we've experimented with a new piece of software called, I mean, it's not new, but it's new to our workflow called Soft RAID. Our workflow, right. But uh, we've been using the Apple RAID utility, which has been a little bit um, decapitated over time, I would say. 
and I'm not sure right, what its right. future is, but, but we're using software RAID. And when the job is done, when we wrap for the day from the set, those mirrors are separated. And then I send the drives to different places. And it depends on who's going where. I try not to stack drives with people that are going to be like, say, on the same airplane or in the same car. I try to split the data so that they're on really separate paths. Mm -hmm. Once I get those right. drives back to my edit station, I send one set of drives, the both the Final Cut library and the native library. I send those to LTO tape, LTO 6, mm -hmm. and then those tapes go into a bank vault, safe deposit box in the bank. And those are what I would, you know, call cold storage or, or archive. And then that's the, going to be a big box at this point. It is pretty big. <laughs> the SSDs from the field also get copied to my RAID systems in my edit bay. And I have two separate RAIDs. They're both RAID 5s, multiple drive RAID 5s. I have one I have six bay Pegasus 2 chassis. That's a RAID 5 with six drives. And then I've got a 10 gigabit RAID shared storage chassis with 16 drives, also RAID 5. So one set of okay. media goes on to one RAID. The other media set goes on to the second RAID. Now I've got you know, SSD copies. I've got RAIDed copies in the edit suite. And I've got an LTO copy you know, in the archive. So if something happened at my right. office, there were fire, the data would not be completely lost. No, and that's a good point. And in in my workflow, I I don't do the LTO side of things. I do do the hard drive backup, but I do dual hard drives. And um, I'm in the process of figuring out, you know, storing one set offsite. Um, but but I do. I figure that you know two sets of hard drives. I've got these, you know, really nice static uh, protective boxes cushioned. Um, you know, I spin them up once a year and, you know, cycle through that. And, um, you know, for me, that works as I knock on wood, um, have never had um, <laughs> a hard drive issue after one failure in my early years with a RAID Zero, uh, which, uh, you know, and that was a backup. I learned the hard way, young and foolish. Um, but, uh, but, but now I've got a, a pretty good system down of, of archiving to the hard drives. Um, and I figure doing it you know, duplicating it over the course using Shotput Pro, you can archive with one offload to multiple drives that's at a time. Um, I feel pretty confident, and um, but you know, as far as scaling it up like like you've done, that's the absolute smart way to do it. You know, if you can having all that redundancy, um, you know, when you need it, because sometimes your client needs footage, sometimes your client, you know, is editing some of the footage that you prepare and you've got it absolutely everywhere. I think there's a few things that are concerning. I see DPs, you know, production companies where they don't even understand the payload that they're generating, let alone how to manage it from a protection standpoint. Right. And I think it's very important, you know, as a as a DP or a production company, like you need to know ahead of time how much data you're going to generate that day and how you're going to handle it when when it leaves the camera. 
And I'm really amazed how many people don't grasp that basic concept. Absolutely. Or how it looks in front of the client where you go, oh, whoops, I've run out of space. I need to offload a card. You know, and just that alone, number one, doesn't look professional. And it's not, you know, you, you know, you need to be prepared for the job and have what you need without stopping because again, speed, yeah. <laughs> being efficient and, you know, making the most of your time for the client. The other thing that, uh, that alarms me a little bit is that I, I, I think there's, I, I mentioned it before, there's an implied expectation that the data is going to be managed professionally in the sense that mm -hmm. you're going to ensure the safety of the data through the process. Now, it's probably not written. I know it's not written in any of my contracts. It's not spoken about. It's sort of unspoken. Right. But here's the reality. Your client, whether they say it or not, whether they write it or not, expects you to handle the data in a way that secures it, at least for a certain period of time. And Absolutely. Even, even if you don't, because it's not written, and let's just say it, your job is done, it goes away, you erase the data, which I know a lot of post houses do, the data just gets erased. Then the client comes back and says, oh, you know, hey, do you have a copy of the footage or can we get? And honestly, if you say no, because it's not in your contract, you probably have lost that client. Right. They might right. not You've say that that's why, but if you had the footage, and you said, yes, here you go. Here's a copy of the footage. You you give that client a much better feeling about the way you're you know, handling their account. And so I think right, even if right. it's not written, it's implied. And it, I think you have to do a basic level. As you say, maybe it's not tape and, and bank vaulting and all this stuff, but at least multiple copies sitting you know, in, in different locations and you maybe sit on it for you know, a year. Right. I, when I was in the advertising world, we had a contract where we would include five years of storage. And, and I've kept that into my own business where sometimes, and it's never really become an issue where someone says, oh, I got to have that. If, if nothing other than I want to see what was shot so long ago, my kid has grown up now, but you also want to encourage people to stay with the times and stay current. And you don't want to be working from five, six, seven-year-old masters, if you've upgraded your suite and you're shooting with better cameras and you've gone from 1080 to 4K, um, you know, you don't want to say we can re-edit things forever because you want to keep the business moving forward and keep things looking good. But it it is it is a nice, you know, safety net for them to be able to know that you're going to have, you know, archives of what they spent good money on for a while. That's a very good point. Very good point. The other thing that I see that's a little frightening is on many sets, the DP, the camera op, uh, the gaffer, someone is in charge of the data management that's doing other tasks. Oh, yes. That is a big red flag for me because you need 100% of your attention on offloading that data. And when I see people Absolutely. who are doing multiple tasks it's so easy to go oh yes i backed this card up let me put it back in the camera and then oops 
I didn't right, have that backed right. up. And it's funny, this is such an important part of it too, because it's the very it's the unsexy side of production. You know, we'll be everyone just thinks that, you know, we've done the job, there's the camera guys, there's everybody that's out on the set, you know, and so we'll finish up some of the jobs that we work together on sometimes. And at the end of the day, you're getting, you know, the dump of everything. You're getting, you know, audio, you're getting proxy records, you're getting all the last batches of what was shot during the day. And people come in and they're like, oh, hey, did the, how did this look? How did that look? How did my camera do here? And, you know, you have to almost put up a wall around yourself and say, look, this is this is where things can go bad. You know, things pile up. And and it's something that people do need to remember that if you've you've prepared all of this for a great day of, of production, if something fails on the end, everybody loses. But it is, it's that thing that, that, that it really is important if it's not, uh, if it's, if it's not backed up properly and, and taken care of like that. Even if you are a one man shop, you know, maybe yes. you don't want to handle the media on set because you know, it's going to be too much chaos. Like, so maybe you, you know, take the cards, you, you know, put them in static bags and you leave and you wait till you know that you're going to get back to your studio or your house. And then when it's calmer and quieter, you finish, you know, offloading the data, because if you make a mistake, it's not recoverable. Absolutely. I actually have two because a lot of what I do, I shoot with the GH5, so SD cards. Um, a lot of times I've, I've got two different of the small Pelican cases. I bring one that's empty and I bring one with all the cards that I'm going to use. And as I finish recording onto one, it goes into the empty one. The card goes upside down because I know that I've shot that card. I know everything in that case is used. And trying to shoot redundantly is something that that we're able to do now. I know with your Vericams, you can shoot proxy records so that if something is catastrophic on the hardware side, you know, you may be able to use those proxies to recover something. And we've run into that on uh, some of the Iditarod that we've that we've done where where something was missing, but it was there in the proxy. And that that's a great point. And that is true. I, I do believe that the first step of redundancy starts at the camera. And mm -hmm. like you said, some cameras actually shoot can shoot simultaneously to two cards. Sometimes, right. like my Varicam, it can do a proxy and a and a main. But nowadays, with the monitors, with the convergent designs, with the Atomos Ninja Vs, right? You know, it's easy enough to have a backup recording on the camera side before you get to um, data wrangling. So that's Absolutely. probably where it starts. So let's get into a little bit on the on the tech side and talk about okay. the hardware that I'm using, maybe the hardware that you're using to to handle uh, archiving. We talked a little bit about mm -hmm. ShopPut Pro. I think I was using originally, way back in the day, hardware RAID 1 drives from Weeby Tech. Weeby Tech, and, yes, right. And they were five and a quarter drives. They were big, they were loud. Um, they used trays. So you had to like mm -hmm. actually unscrew the drive. So it wasn't a great system to be frequently changing out the mechanisms. But that's right. that's how I tried to use them. And then um, there were some smaller portable raids that I tried that were, again, um, spinning disks on trays. They were Cal <laughs> digits. The Cal digits, yes, okay. They were nice little chassis. They had uh, Firewire 800, Firewire 400. 
They were eSATA hardware RAID 1. So they were, they were pretty durable. The only negative thing about them was that they used these trays that were not uh, toolless. So you had to have screwdrivers, right. you had to have screws. I'm actually taking them apart and looking at it now. And I, I think they flashed them with their own firmware. So it wasn't easy to swap another drive in if something was going on or you needed to do something. It was called the uh, VR Mini. Yes, yeah. So I used those yep, for a I while. I had a few of those. Yeah, I, ha I still have a bunch on the shelf here. Then I switched over to the GTEC uh, when they came out with the EV dock. And the EV right. dock was a Thunderbolt 2 dock. It was, it was JBOD, but they called it just a bunch of disks. Mm -hmm. Two terabytes in capacity, which was one of the reasons I, I switched to it, because we were generating a lot of data. And then right. um, we would raid them in Apple uh, RAID Utility, RAID 1, which was a, a speed penalty. You know, anytime you're doing software RAID, right. there's a speed penalty because you have to write to two drives at the same time. That's why hardware RAID is preferred um, because there's no speed penalty. But it's hard to travel with sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to travel. And like if, if GTEC had made a... A hardware RAID 1 dock, I would have bought it. I actually lobbied them many times at the Final Cut Summit to, really? uh, to make one. <laughs> and they uh, they said, oh, that's a good idea, but they never they never did it. I've, I'm still using those boxes, but, but less and less now because I found something better, but not very fast. That was about 135 megabytes a second of throughput. Megabytes, yeah. But then they came out with the thicker still fit in the chassis, but they were the thicker EV drives that had two three and a half inch drives or two and a half inch drives, I'm sorry, two right. and a half inch drives inside the disc and it was rated zero internally. So the speed got up to, I think about um, like 170 megabytes a second. So it was a faster drive, but they didn't fit in every chassis because the, the tolerances in the chassis were different. So you might have one chassis that the drive mounted in, you put it in another one and it wouldn't wouldn't work. So that right. wasn't great. But then they came out with the raw SSDs, which were pretty good, 425 megabytes a second. And that's what I was using. That's where everything changed, I think. That's where it really changed our whole workflow. Absolutely. Um, and made it, yes, 100%. So 425 megabytes a second was good I mean, way better than 135 or 170. I mean, it's double, almost double right. the speed. And then, you know, so that's faster on the back end because we used to we used to really lag as far as the offload time, you know, towards the end of the production day when more and more footage was coming back in and you hadn't ingested everything that was already shot. And it just, you know, took right. more time. The faster the storage, the faster the archive goes. Right. And then it kind of turned around because it became the media was slower and and the, the connections, the USB connections until Thunderbolt 3 and USB-C came out. Even USB 3.1 was pretty good, um, you know, but it became the method of backing up as opposed to the drives that you're backing up to. Very true. Very true. And, and you brought up a good point about media because you might have the fastest RAID and the fastest computer. But if you've right. recorded on, I know that um, 
uh, one of the data wranglers was just complaining about the micro SD cards that the audio mm -hmm. side was using because they were very slow and they took a long time to offload and they have made a request to get some faster class 10 micro cards for audio so that you know it doesn't bog down the process right right i know and sometimes i think it's the offload method sometimes you know depending on the type of micro sd reader you have um those aren't incredibly fast sometimes so you've got to watch what you're buying you might be getting a usb 3.0 as opposed to a usb 3.1 or usb c you know it's really tough well you do you have to understand the whole data path and you have to understand where your bottlenecks are and that could be as you say it could be the the device could be the cabling could be the card could be the right. computer your so, sled is only as fast as your slowest dog that that's very nice nice analogy <laughs> brings us right back to that place that we don't want to go to <laughs> so now i found a a new drive i don't even want to say it because i'm afraid that it's going to get hard to get them but right. i've been using this owc which is other world computing they have uh, a drive called the envoy pro ex and this is a uh, I think they call it an NVRAM RAID. It's Thunderbolt 3 with a uh, fixed cable, which is the only thing I'm not crazy about. The cable on right. one it's end is scary. fixed into the drive, but it's a two terabyte drive and it has speeds at rated at 2,500 megabytes a second. It's so, unreal. I didn't believe you until I, until I got my hands yeah, on it. It was yeah, unreal. The, these are like five times faster than the drives that we were already very happy with. Right. And the only, like I said, the only thing is they don't fit into the dock, which is fine, but they're the same price as the EV raw SSD two terabyte drives. And I'm getting the five times speed boost for the same money. Exactly. As long as you've got enough Thunderbolt connections, you're good. <laughs> and, and you know, this is one of those little gotchas because we, we ran into this issue where one of our uh, media wranglers didn't have mm -hmm. a Thunderbolt 3 Mac, but right. they had a Mac with USB-C. And if you don't know, the physical form factor of those two cables is identical. But if you don't plug slower. it in, well, if you don't plug it in, if you have a Thunderbolt 3 device and you plug it into a device that only understands USB-C, it doesn't work. Right. So that's a little gotcha that you have to watch for. But these drives are great. I'm very happy with them. They're, they're blazing fast. Now we just got to go for 4K and then higher storage limits. Well, so so uh, the the last step in my archive is the LTO, as I mentioned. Um, what I'm right. running is a uh, M M tape, M Logic M tape. It's LTO six because it's a couple years old. I think they're up to LTO eight now, and it has a Thunderbolt two port on it, so it's Mac friendly, and that's where I put you know all the long-term uh, storage for the project is on LTO 16. It's considered though, uh, you know, like archival, it's a certified Standard. archive. Like if you need sure. certain, um, not that I do these types of projects, but like certain um, network shows require a certain uh, data archive on a certain format. And usually it's LTO tape. 
So sometimes that's uh. a requirement of the production company or the network that you're delivering to. When I went to NAB uh, last year, cloud storage is becoming viable for doing For archive? Storage. Absolutely. It is becoming viable because as you know, our data pipes to your home and your office are getting bigger. Absolutely. And the cost for mass storage is, is dropping. Now I'm already using cloud, you know, storage for backups for my computers. I'm using um, Backblaze. You're using Backblaze, right? Yeah, I've looked which into is, that. Which is very, very reasonable. I think it's a flat, flat rate per computer. And uh, I was talking to them at NAB. They had a booth. They were saying that you know the cost to store like a terabyte of data was pennies. Like it wasn't a lot really? of money. Yeah, it, of course, the problem is the time. But if right. time is not your main criteria, you can do it. You can store it in the cloud. And how much do you store? That's the thing. And how do you cycle it through the years? I guess that's another episode with how do you determine how much you're going to archive and for how long? Because every bit of it has a cost. Backblaze is only charging a half a penny per gig per month. Let's say you have a thousand gigabytes and then a hundred gigabytes a month in addition, and you're downloading 10 and you're doing this over a year, it's going to cost you a hundred dollars a year to store that. That's a no brainer. I mean, really is a no brainer, especially if you don't want to yeah. outlay. Cause I think I paid about five grand for my LTO machine when I bought it and they may have come down a bit. But if right. you don't want to outlay that initial capital, cloud storage might be a way to do it. And, you know, even if you have to dedicate one machine in your office, you know, you get a Mac mini and right. let it just yeah. off offload stuff to the cloud. And, uh, you know, that seems like pretty viable to me. It absolutely does. I mean, when you're I mean, my my archive method, like I said, is hard drives and I buy enterprise class drives, make sure they're good, uh, do all that. But it's it takes up storage. It it costs a pretty penny. And um, and again, you're you're not 100 percent sure, you know, where the cloud, if it's that affordable, it's it's a no brainer. You know, it's sort of like the uh, the rental car counter. And when you're signing up for the insurance, you know, are you the type of person who takes the extra insurance or do you not? You say I decline because Honestly, it's the same thought process. Am I willing to risk? What's the risk? What's the percentage that something's going to happen? Right. And, you know, it's that I'll, one time. Yeah. I'll take the insurance, the pennies that I'm spending on it. Uh, you know, even for the peace of mind, it's, it's worth it. So, anything else you'd like to add to this conversation before we call it a, a wrap? I, I think if you're working with another DIT, I think that there needs to be, and my wife will even agree to this, I, I don't like written things, but we have, you know, paper forms that that we use to to manage the media that's sliding between us. And and that is is so important to, you know, know what's coming in, know what's going out, knowing what's being backed up. And we've got a, a, a traffic stop method of it. We, we label things in, in red, yellow, and green. Yeah, green means it's done. Red means it hasn't started. Yellow means it's in process. And, you know, having that to verify yourself when you're getting buried, 
um, is so important not to just blindly go, oh yeah, I've offloaded that one already, never mind. Um, so I think just having a, a little checklist or a, a, something to verify, you know, when you're in the middle of the rush of, of backing things up is really important. You've implemented many of these ideas into into my workflow, and they've they've made a big you know difference in the uh, reliability and confidence that we're leaving the set with all the media intact. Right, right. Glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Tom, thank you very much for joining me today. I love talking about uh, workflow and, and when things go right.